guys and welcome to another episode of Stir the Pot, a podcast all about food and the people that love it. Now, today is a special episode because it actually marks number 10. Yes, we are now officially in double digits. Now, at some points, I did not think we would be able to make that. It's a very difficult um, thing, arranging this podcast, getting people to come and sit down and talk and just arranging that is a bit of a, log- a logistical nightmare. Um, so I am forever thankful to the people that have come and joined me on the podcast and, and sat and chat and shared their time. I'm very, very thankful. Of course, I'm also incredibly thankful to you for listening because obviously there would be a no podcast if it wasn't for uh, the people who are listening and I will continue to make it so long as you are listening. Um, in that vein, if you have any comments, I would love to hear from you. You can email me at stirpotpodcast at gmail.com or you can tweet me at the boy who bakes. I'm at the boy who bakes on pretty much all social media, so go and follow me and stalk me and see my cakes and all those weird and wonderful things that we do online these days. Um, also, um, I would like to say that I am celebrating a little bit. Uh, episode number 10, not that I actually <laughs> need an excuse. I'm I'm drinking a rhubarb gimlet, which is just a fabulous cocktail. Um, if you want to know how to make that cocktail uh, and make your own rhubarb gin, you can go and check out my website, which is theboywhobakes.co.uk, where it is currently rhubarb week. Um, it's not officially rhubarb week, but it is on my website, and there's a whole host of really fabulous recipes from simple roasted rhubarb all the way up to something slightly more complex with our final recipe tomorrow, which actually happens to be one of my all-time favourite recipes, so I'm really excited about that one. Um, today's guest is a food writer who is coming for my gig. Um, he's, he's writing a baking book. Um, his new book is Healthy Baking, um, but you may know him because he released a book last year called Our Korean Kitchen, which he wrote with his wife which did rather well. It won um, Best Cookbook at the OFM Awards. It also won Best Cookbook at the Fortnum and Mason Food and Drink Awards. Um, so it's, you know, suffice to say, it, it did pretty well. Um, his new book is very different from that. It's also quite different from your average baking book. It's not full of very sugary, you know, over-the-top layer cakes. It's, it's much more laid-back and, and humble than that. It's full of, you know, slow things like sourdough and ferments and pickles. And it's a really interesting uh, look at baking from a very different perspective. Um, And it's a really uh, beautiful book, very, very delicious looking. Um, And I think if you are a regular baker and you want something different for your repertoire, or you're looking for something a little bit healthier, it's a really interesting book and it's well worth a look at. It actually comes out today, so go and check that out. It's Healthy Baking by Jordan Burke. And uh, let's get straight into the chat with Jordan. Anyway, uh, so first question, same as always, how did you get started? Uh, no, that's not the first question. The first question is, how did food become such a big part of your life? Well, it's a funny one because it's a question that people often ask, and I'm not totally sure how, in the sense that it feels like it's an obvious reply to say, well, you know, my mum cooked a huge amount of 
<clears throat> home cooked dishes when I was growing up. Um, and, you know, to be honest, that's probably the main aspect to it. We had Spanish au pairs when I was a kid and because we have great family friends in the north of Spain. And so they would send over their daughters or cousins or whatever to sure. learn English. <laughs> um, so then they would come over and they would always be cooking lots of Spanish food because my mum's such a good cook. She would learn the dishes from them and then she would start cooking dishes with them. Mm. So that's kind of my, my first early impression of food is tortilla de patata, paella, all the proper Spanish food. And yeah. we spoke Spanish at home with them because they were always speaking Spanish yeah, to yeah. us. So it was kind of amazing and I loved that. Um, and so I love all those flavours, the garlic and mm. all that kind of stuff, which is very prevalent in... Spanish food and I think that's probably one of the reasons why I loved Korean food so much when sure. I came to it later um, so it was something that I did a huge amount for pleasure growing up I just you know coming home from school doing my homework at the kitchen countertop my mum would be cooking there and I suppose I just learned by osmosis yeah totally. just picked it up and then um, later on when I actually started working because when I first came to London I was doing film and television mm. in university and then I just always thought actually this is kind of something that I just love to do and at the time you know people were like do what you love do what you love <laughs> yeah. so I was just like okay fair enough I'll try and do that yeah um but at the time I thought oh I'll just specialize as a food producer or something like that yeah, or yeah. whatever I didn't expect to then go into working in a restaurant it just kind of happened after cookery school I suppose at the time it was also the height of food tv so the idea of being a food producer was not a a bad one no not at all I mean I was in news at the time and just some of the producers I spoke to were like yeah you'll really need to get proper experience or at least go to cookery school because the TV production roles are few and far between sure. <clears throat> for food and they're quite competitive so unless you have some background in it mm. you can't just say yeah I like cooking at home that's not good <laughs> enough <laughs> everyone would say that so um, that's why I kind of thought yeah it'd be a good idea to go back mm. to cookery school uh, and then, of course, everything went our ways, and I w ended up in a restaurant for a few years. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so I suppose it was just something that I, I find it very relaxing. Yeah. Um, I love just being on my own in the kitchen and just cooking away slowly, listening to the radio. Like basically, I'm just a geriatric in my twenties. <laughs> well, not twenties anymore. But at the time, I was. <laughs> so how how old were you when you moved to London? I was, yeah, no, I was 19 when I first moved to London, wow. so yeah, it definitely wasn't, um, I wasn't even in my 20s, I was <laughs> a teen, uh, but yeah, even then, like, I mean, yeah, great, I still loved going out and doing all the usual things, yeah. but I loved just cooking at home and just relaxing and just, um, yeah. I remember with my flatmates would just uh, have a day where it would just be cooking various different mm. things and then have a massive big sit down meal at the end of it and have our friends over, and like most of our friends at the time were like not doing that at all <laughs> they're like what are you doing I, have to say, I still have that now where um i'm dating someone who's a little bit younger than me yeah and i keep thinking we're not gonna go out tonight let's let i'll cook for you yeah, i'll just make Jane. dinner and i'm 31 and i think it's just becoming acceptable but i've been like that for a long time yeah i like too. the coziness of a kitchen yeah and i like cooking for people yeah and i think that's very common with people who have a big love of food is it's partly because they love that connection of people yeah completely and it's just it's the 
there's something a lot more relaxing, I think. About, I mean, some people would say, I mean, even my wife, she's very good at cooking Korean food, but she finds cooking Western food stressful. And I find it <laughs> so funny seeing her in the kitchen cooking because I'm like, oh, what are you doing? What are you doing? Come on, come on, come on. Like, I kind of wind her up, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, for me anyway, it doesn't really matter what I'm doing. Even if I'm doing something wrong and I've made a big mistake yeah. and I burnt the shite out of something, like, <laughs> I kind of, it doesn't really bother me. I'm like, no. yeah, okay, it's grand. You know, you're just at home cooking. Yeah. It's not like it's for, if it was for a job, fine, it'd be different. But, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah, I guess just all those points. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. I was once doing, um, I think it was my it was my first ever shoot. Yeah. And I was making macarons and I literally just moved to London. I'd been here for maybe two weeks. Yeah. And I hadn't really used my oven very often. Yeah. And I, I, I was so cocky. I was like, I make macarons all the time. I'm the king of them. <laughs> uh, and I'd never used the oven and they went completely wrong and I was in the kitchen till three in the morning crying, trying to make macarons for this damn, damn shoot. Job, yeah. And I had to be at the shoot for like seven. It was awful. It was terrible. So Did they work? They looked Eventually. fine. They did not taste fine. But they you can't tell. But they looked fine. I, um, I remember the first day that I was in Peter's Nurseries, which is the restaurant I went to after cookery school, and we'd learned to make mayonnaise in a f- um, just literally by hand. That mm-hmm. was one of the skills that we had to do in cookery yeah, school. Yeah, yeah. So then we arrive in, and there was well, I arrived into the restaurant. The they were like, you know, Sky, who was the head chef there at the time, was like, oh, can you make mayonnaise? And I was like, yeah, yeah, no problem. Actually, no, it was Ioli. And uh, so she was like, okay, uh, make enough for, I think there's about, you know, uh, 90 to 100 people in for lunch today. And I was like, <laughs> so do it by hand. I started doing it by <laughs> hand. And she was like, uh, um, no, you can do it in the food processor. We'd never done it in the food processor in cookery school. So I was like, okay, Grant. <laughs> Popped into the food processor. And then... Um, you know, there, it was such a lovely environment in there. And yeah. the other kind of sous chefs um, at the time were, you know, such amazing natural cooks, just like Sky, because she had trained them all in. And mm. uh, they were saying, you know, don't worry, just do it in the food processor, grand, grand, grand. I literally split the mayonnaise about four times because I was so... I actually felt like vomiting. I th- I've never actually felt so much, like, pressure and nerves. Like, I was like, oh, my God, this room. But then anyway, eventually got there. They showed me how to kind of bring it back. Um, and then, you know, since then, I haven't really split it that many times. <laughs> you learned the hard way. It's more about learning how to rescue it than knowing how to make it, I guess. Exactly, yeah. Um. So if you... You'd moved to London before you went to cooking school. Yeah, exactly. So you went to Ballymaloo in Ireland. Yeah. So what made you want to go back to Ireland? Just the homeness of it, or...? Yeah, it was funny because... Um, yeah, I was here at the time. My girlfriend is now wife was here at the time so I didn't the main I didn't really want to actually leave London sure but then when I looked at the cookery schools uh, I was looking at Leeds and I was looking at um, Cordon Bleu and Ballymaloo and I just thought well it's the only cookery school in the world on an organic farm yeah it's in Ireland um so I just thought well I'll visit it and see mm. and you know I can always come back in the weekend and then when I went there, I just thought this is the most incredible place to learn about food because yeah. on the first day you plant, um, well, it depends on what season you're in. We planted corn because um, it was the summer season. And then on the last day you harvest the corn and you make something with it. Hmm. And there was something so complete, like literally from farm to table kind of thing <laughs> yeah. that I loved about their approach to food um, and just the different teachers there and the whole ethos. So I just thought I like I have to go here. There is definitely something quite um, magical seeming about mm. the place. Um, I've wanted to visit for a long time just because it doesn't look 
like your traditional school. Not at it all. doesn't feel clinical. It doesn't feel yeah. just like a boring box with a kitchen inside of it. Yeah. And I do think the fact it's on on the farm on the organic place is something really nice about that. Completely, and uh, they, you know, it, it's very. In the morning time, you have a kind of a schedule before you even go into the demo kitchen. Mm. You have to either be on gardening duty, or you'll be on salad duty, or you'll be doing something. Yeah. Um, and they really kind of push you to do that. So you're up at the crack of dawn doing whatever it is. And I just think it's a very good way of getting people's heads around the entirety of food because I think people can sometimes go to cookery school with such a set, I want to learn about bread, I want to learn about whatever it is. And, you know, I think if you're at all interested in food, you know, it's better to have a more rounded approach to it. I mean, that was uh, part of the reason um, I didn't go to cookery school Mm. was I was talking with um, pastry chef and chocolatier friends of mine and a lot of them were advising me that actually you don't necessarily learn everything you need to and a lot of the London cookery schools are teaching old techniques that aren't necessarily relevant anymore. Yeah. So you might not learn how to make mayonnaise in a food processor. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. And so I think actually a school that gives you a much more rounded education like that is probably a lot more valuable. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think for a lot of people, they need more of that rather than just a, this is the strict cooking, this is that. And I, I don't think you learn as better that way. I think you were probably taught to learn about food better. I mean, the funny thing is, I mean, by the time I finished the course and went into the restaurant kitchen, I still felt like a complete novice. Sure. You know, I mean, it's not like you come out of there like some award-winning chef. Not by by any means. I also think that's the right attitude you should have, though. Yes. Because I I work occasionally with people who've come fresh out of cookery school. Yeah. And there is can be a difference with that. (laughs) Oh, I'm the king of cooking. (laughs) I know everything. And Aren't I think you doing a... it this way, Ed? <laughs> I think this might be a better approach to macaroons. <laughs> but I, I do think that it's much healthier to know that you're still a novice when you come out of any school. Yeah, completely. Than to, you know, someone, I, oh, I was listening to some podcast the other day. Millennials. And they gave... <laughs> <laughs> or maybe we're millennials. I didn't even know. <laughs> I know, we're definitely millennials. Yeah. <laughs> I inherited my sister's problem. Millennials. millennials yeah. uh, sadly, we are. Yeah. As much as we are maligned, we are definitely millennials. <laughs> um, it was the thing about a driving license that just because you've got a driving license does not know does not mean you are brilliant at driving a car. Of course, it yeah. means you pass a certain test, test yeah. and it's the start of a journey. Yeah, um, yeah, that's a really good analogy. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I don't know where I've nicked it from, but I'm keeping <laughs> but it keeping and I'm use it. it all the time. Oh, I'm going to nick it. <laughs> so from Ballymaloo, you went to Petersham Nurseries. Yeah, so I came back, had no intention of working in a restaurant, and then um, about a month later, Darina said that they had three visiting chefs coming to Ballymaloo, and did I want to assist? Um, so I said, yeah, grand, I'll go back and do that. It was um, Jean-Pierre Moulet was the former head chef of Chez Panisse in yeah. Berkeley in California. And then Sky Gindel from Petersham and now Spring. And then um, Yatam and Sami of Ottolenghi. Nice. And uh, I just thought that'd be amazing. Like, what a nice <laughs> cross range. <laughs> I was like, yeah. oh, let me think about that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, so How I much went... do I need to pay you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know, exactly. It was like incredible. So... Went over, did that for the week because they were they had a, you know one day each mm. on over the week, and at the end of that week, Sky offered me a job, and I thought actually I'm just not sure if I really want to go into restaurant kitchen, so I said no, <laughs> and then all the uh, basically teachers there were just and even friends of mine who were already working in restaurants in London were just like you'd be mad not to go in mm. for at least a couple of weeks anyway for work experience or whatever, so I did that. Went in for a couple of weeks of work experience and just ended up staying. Yeah, <laughs> How just, long were you there in the end? Uh, about two and a half years. Wow. Yeah. 
And it's kind of one of those places where I just felt so fortunate to be there at that time. Yeah. Because it was kind of in its absolute heyday. When I arrived, it was before it got the Michelin star. Because yeah. after it got the Michelin star, there was even more people. It was, I don't know, there was more <laughs> yeah. pressure. And um, just Sky is the most incredible teacher as well. Mm. And of course, it's a restaurant, so it was still stressful at times. But um, the environment there the people who worked there, this setting, this like it's nowhere else like it, you know. <laughs> yeah, you it is the miles, most beautiful looking. So beautiful. Yeah. So just going there every day and uh, learning about the produce. Mm. A lot of the produce we got was from Italy or from France or wherever. And um, just learning how to cook food in a very simple way. Mm. Um, starting, I mean, it's kind of, this kind of style of cooking has become incredibly popular yeah. now in the last couple of years. Everyone's talking about simple food and adulteration. And, but it's good in the sense yeah. that hopefully that's now filtering down to people at home. They're not just covering something in some yeah, sauce yeah. from, you know, it can just be the simplest things. A little bit of lemon zest, a little bit of parmesan, a little bit of salt. That's, yeah. You know, par- parsley, whatever. It doesn't need that much stuff Completely. flung over it. Um, we, before we started the podcast, we were talking about um, sharing. Mm. And you mentioned with Sky being such a good teacher... Um, how for me food is all about sharing Completely. so it's about sharing the food you've made yeah. but also about knowledge mm. and I think you seem to have gone into that as a job or as a food writer and I, it's interesting that you've had a teacher who or you know a mentor that is someone so supportive mm. and then you've gone into something that is all about sharing yeah I mean even the the book that's about to come out, Healthy Baking, there's a, a sourdough, a porridge sourdough in there mm. that in Ballymaloo, uh, there was a one of the lit vests that was on. Sky learned about this porridge sourdough from uh, Chad Robertson of Tartine in mm. San Francisco. She kind of did her own version of it and has that in her restaurant, Spring. And then I absolutely adore it. So I was like, Sky, can I put it in my, a version of this in the book? So I then went there and worked with her chefs to kind of learn their way of doing it and now have it in the book. I mean, it's the ultimate sharing. Yeah. Each recipe is a version of the yeah. original. Of course. And I just think it is so important, like what we were saying before, that um, it is all about sharing and you do... Because there no recipe is made the same way twice. No. So it's just about the love of the food, the enjoyment of the food, and passing that on. Yeah. It's a more generous approach to it. I remember I once asked... Um, a pastry chef friend of mine who at the time was working at uh, oh no she just left oh I'm going to forget the name of the restaurant now it was at the time it was the world's best restaurant in California yeah oh I can't remember its name anyway it's not important um, Zumi or no Zumi. it wasn't that long ago <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway but she was basically saying like nothing in pastry and I think the same is true about food yeah. is new it's all about interpretation it's all about putting your own spin on something yeah um, and I think she's very true. It's all about your style of something. Mm. And I don't think, I've said this to you before, I don't think you can take someone else's recipe and make it exactly the same. Yeah. Completely. Because your own influence comes into play. Yeah. And so that's what I love about food is that you can take, you know, that one recipe mm. from Chad and then your version of it is very different, but it has just been passed from person to person to person. Yeah. And through that, it has evolved. Yeah. And I think there is something really magical about that. And no one recipe is better than another no, just not because somebody else is making it it's in fact each one enriches it in a different way mm-hmm. and it might be slightly different but it's equally it has its merit so I think it's kind of nice to see that mm. um, so you're Irish you trained yes. in Ireland you live in London but most people you know you for 
Korean food, <laughs> I know, it's which I love. Good. I love the. Fa- I I love things that are kind of melting pots, and I think yeah. in some ways that is the ultimate melting yeah. pot. So, how did Korean food become a thing for you? Yeah, I mean, it's the first question. Every time they're just like, <laughs> white Irish guy eating green food, it's completely ridiculous. Yeah, it's, it's probably a good idea sense. you went on the cover of that book. <laughs> yeah, I know, seriously. So, yeah, it's essentially just my wife is from Seoul, and uh, we met in London maybe nine years ago. And at the time, I just didn't... I mean, I knew the very, very, very basics yeah. of Korean food. I knew, like, bibimbap, kimchi, whatever. And um, the two things that people know about Korean food. Yeah, exactly. The two basics. So I just was completely floored the first time she cooked for me, the first time she brought me to Korean restaurants. Mm. And even at the time, like, there weren't that many good Korean restaurants in London. So it was kind of fairly basic. And I just couldn't believe that so little was known about Korean food in comparison to its close neighbours. So then we went over to Korea for the first time about five months after dating. And... That was when it just, I just was like, I really want to learn more about this. I want to work in Korean kitchens. Mm. I just want to kind of devote myself to it a little bit more because then being there and having the food that is made for you by my now mother-in-law or by friends of hers Mm. or just eating out in the restaurants there. And food is kind of, I know you could say this about any society, but particularly in <laughs> Korea, it's all pervasive. Like yeah. the first, when you meet someone, you don't say, "Hey, how's it going? How are you? You know, what have you been up to?" It's pap which means like, "Have you eaten?" Yeah, literally, "Have you eaten rice?" <laughs> uh, because that's there. It uh, means the same thing as meal, because their assumption is that you know there's no point in asking how you are because if you haven't eaten, you're of course you're not going to be good. Yeah. <laughs> and I just love that. And um, then. Over the years, going back there, because Jean is a fashion designer and she produces some of her clothes there. Mm. So every time she would go over, maybe once or twice a year for a month or so, I would go and do stages in the kitchens. Nice. And it was just the most incredible experience learning more. I mean, and I could be going to Korea. I could live in Korea until I'm 95 and still never yeah. learn. Or, and and you could, again, that's true for any food culture. So um, I just threw myself into it and then started cooking it more and more at home and then years and years later um, my literary agent was like you really should do like a pitch for this and I was like no one will buy a Korean cookbook come on and, and it came out in the year that Korean food had a bananas. bit of a moment yeah, yeah. so uh, I just it was fortuitous timing wise as well but mm. I'm just so glad that it's been well received and people I mean we I mean you say well received but it did win like two of the biggest food awards <laughs> best book of the Observer Food Monthly Awards and best book I at know. the, uh, the totally Fondland Mason Food and Drink Awards blew our minds in the sense that uh, but Peter, I mean the awards obviously are fantastic but I mean, they don't help more sales. so <laughs> more so it was receiving emails or letters yes. from people saying yeah. that they are cooking this in the middle of nowhere in Scotland where we received yeah. this um, letter from uh, this guy in uh, the Netherlands who originally is Korean but was adopted from Korea so wow. doesn't speak Korean had their own child and had this kind of difficult relationship yeah, with Korea because sure. they kind of distanced themselves from it they were trying to just be Dutch essentially yeah. but their child was really like no I want to know more about my history I want to know, wow. know more about my ancestry and so they wrote this letter that Gina ended up bawling her eyes out. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Like, I've, I've, you know, reconnected with Korea <laughs> cooking from your book. And that, like, we never could have ever anticipated. Yeah. So that's that, I think that's amazing. the nicest response you can get. Yeah. Is people just telling you that they're cooking from your book. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, there was something, I read an interview with you both, 
and there's something that she said about how in the early days when she was cooking for you she could cook you any old crap and you were just really <laughs> fascinated by it <laughs> so because she's like oh this is amazing <laughs> I know literally the, you know there'd be times now that I realised the stuff that she was doing was a total cheap diversion <laughs> or just like fetched together whatever I mean even the first dish she cooked for me japchae which is the sweet potato noodle dish yeah and um, which is in the book right it's in yeah. the book yeah and they you know there's quite a, a specific way of doing it if you're doing it the <laughs> Korean way and she just kind of threw it all together but the thing is actually it still tasted bloody magnificent and I was still floored by it so there's yeah. no and that's actually one thing that I think is really important to say that it, there's no you don't have to follow a recipe mm-hmm. you know verbatim you have to use your own instincts yeah. and so I don't mind if someone doesn't follow because you know when I went to Korea there were chefs that I worked with that literally would be horrified if you didn't follow <laughs> the traditional yeah. time-honoured approach to making whatever it was kimchi or bibimbap mm-hmm. or whatever and I get that and it was really lovely to learn that but that doesn't mean that you cannot enjoy something a slightly different way I completely agree it's that kind of constant debate between authenticity and not and whether yeah. that's important and as much as I will love food done the authentic way my rule is does it taste good Good. I'm going to exactly. eat it then. Yeah. And I, I don't really mind yeah. if it's authentic or not. Actually, there's tons of times you could be having something and you'd be like, well, it might be a tradition, but I actually prefer yes. it. Yes, <laughs> of course. Yeah, which um, is where, you know, the awful term of, you know, um, what's that term? My brain's not working today. I want to say clash cuisine, but that's not a thing. Fusion? <laughs> Fusion. <laughs> I think Clash Cuisine Clash Cuisine's way I'm more I'm totally going to use it's that It's much more 90s on. It's much more 90s Much more 90s I'm doing a Clash Cuisine it's concept Clash cuisine, yeah. <laughs> Korean and French It's ridiculous <laughs> It's terrible That's awful oh, That's fantastic um, But I do think that You know For me it is just Flavour Good I'm happy Yeah and That's all I care about um, To some people Going from Korean To baking Might seem weird But mm. I think this is a healthy baking book, what it's called, healthy baking. Yeah. And actually your first two books were on healthy eating. You wrote them with your sister, who's yeah. a nutritionist. Yeah. Um, so w- why the t- switch to baking this time? So, yeah, I mean, back in the day when I wrote the first two books, it was essentially, I'd just come out of Petersham mm. and um, it was way, way, way before the whole healthy eating trend. Mm-hmm. Um, which I've now kind of distanced myself from a little bit because... Well, don't worry, we're going to talk about that in a minute. I know, because <laughs> it's such a tricky yeah, area. Is, yeah. And I, at the time, literally, there was nothing out there. And no. there was this huge demand for clients of my sister who were looking for food that, you know, I am I have no you know, immune allergic reaction to sugar, wheat or dairy. <laughs> However, um, I just really saw this gap for people, clients like my sisters, who did mm. have an issue with that and were really sick of the kind of the recipes that were out there at that time. Sure. Um, I mean, at the time, those books didn't really exist. No, and if they did, they were terrible. Completely terrible. So I just approached it with my sister, like trying to approach it in the way that I would have cooked food yeah. in Petersham Nurseries. Beautiful, delicious food, but just that also happened to be using alternatives. Um, and so then obviously the Korean side of things came along mm. and going back to it I suppose this is me trying to literally reclaim the word healthy yeah I mean forget about clean eating but just <laughs> even healthy that yeah. it doesn't there's it you know, there's such bad connotations with the word healthy now, which Completely. I think is really is terrible, such a really. shame. And when the um, when you sent the book over, mm. 
and I, I don't think I knew the title. I knew it was a baking book. No, I must have known the title. Yeah. But my first thought was, oh, I hope he doesn't get tarred with the clean eating brush. Yeah. Because obviously there's a massive backlash happening. Or it seems like a massive backlash yeah. anyway. But I was really fascinated by reading the introduction. And the introduction is incredibly measured. And it also gives across a point of view that I think is is very similar to my own. Mm. Which is basically, you know, a little bit of what you does. Uh, live what you like does you well. Exactly. And balance is key. Yeah. Um, and I would say as, as much as things in there are healthy, it's in no way preachy. It's in no way fad diety. Mm. It is kind of just more of an old fashioned yeah. way of baking almost. Come, and that is exactly it. It was, you know, the forgotten skills type mm-hmm. of thing. And when, you know, I mean, most of it is looking at um, breads, baking whether mm-hmm. it's sourdough or a yeasted bread things that you can make with the bread, and then a whole chapter on ferments and preserves and sauces, yeah. things that go with it. Um, and yeah, I mean, the funny thing is, like, if you were looking at healthy from the clean eating side of things, this book is not. No. In the sense that if you're can- counting calories, forget about it. Chuck the book <laughs> out the window because, you know, there is a ton of stuff in yeah. there that is absolutely indulgent and everything else. But um, my idea of healthy is food for the pleasure of it, food for yeah. the enjoyment of it. And yes, I there are alternative. Like if you don't want to use butter, you can use coconut oil and whatever. Mm. If that is applicable to you, yeah. But the most important thing is, I think that you adapt it to whatever your body feels good eating. Mm. You know, and so I just literally the approach was that I wanted to go against everything that has been coming out in the last few years because it was just really annoying me and yeah. it was annoying me that it was changing people's perception of what healthy food is or just what good food is I think it, for me I mean I've never re- I mean I do care about healthy eating I've been in my life I've been a lot bigger so I've gone through lots of years of yo-yo dieting and yeah. whatever um, and I had to adjust my thinking towards food to become actually much healthier. Yeah. But in a way that's healthy for me in that it's my mentality with food and my relationship with food. Yeah. Um, and I think over the last few years, seeing um, clean eating become a thing has frustrated me because I don't like the term clean eating because it denotes the fact that there's dirty eating, which yeah. is just a ridiculous term. And so I think yours fits into a much more uh, rounded approach to health. Yeah, and I think you know the idea that mo- actually most clean eaters like their desserts just seem grim, Completely. you know, and disgusting yeah. concoctions. Whereas actually, this just seems much more um, wholesome. Would yeah. be a really good word, I think. Yeah, and also that it's not when I say healthy, it's about the approach as well, in the sense that it's going back to um, you know if you're making your own ferments at home, if you're making your own bread at home, mm. automatically. That means you're cutting out yeah. foods that are, you know, maybe highly processed or um, ready meals and things like that. And just going back and cooking from fresh, cooking from scratch. Yeah. I mean, you've heard this before. <laughs> I am, like, I'm not saying anything that hasn't been said a million times before. I just hope that I'm doing it in a way yeah. that's more palatable and showing people delicious recipes. Yeah. I mean, it bears repeating because um, that is a message that is the most obvious and the most simple yeah. message. But it... It doesn't always seem to get through. Yeah. And I know we all have our reasons for not cooking in certain ways, but I always think that the one thing you can do to be a healthier person is cook. Cook. Because if you cook exactly. for your own, you know yeah. exactly what's going into that yeah. dish. You know exactly what you're eating. Mm. And I know... It's for... really tricky because yeah. you have all these people, ourselves included, really busy. And there are times you don't want to come home and be slaving away. Mm. Um, but there are, you know, easy, quicker tricks of doing things that... You know, I think there's a lot of um, 
recipes out there doing that as well. So I think there's always a way, but it's a really tricky topic and area because then you're talking about the expense of ingredients, yeah. how yeah. much you're paying for things. And in, in many cases, it is cheaper to buy ready meal. Yeah. So it's a really difficult area. Well, it's it's a, almost like a rabbit hole because yeah. once you open that topic, it's... You know, it's a big one. Yeah, of course and it is. And you can end up talking about it for years, yeah. like Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so the, the thing I found fascinating about the book was, I mean, maybe other people won't read into it because they might not know your other book, mm. uh, other books. But to me, there was a very clear Korean influence in the baking book. In that, you know, there are there's a bread made with kimchi. There's a bread. <laughs> there's lots of ferments in there. Lots of pickles in there. Yeah. And I found that a really refreshing take on a baking book because, you know. I, I wrote in a proposal once, this is not a pink, bright-coloured baking book. It's not meant to be for that audience. Mm. And I think this is definitely approachable for a lot of different people. Yeah. And I think it's a really nice spin on that yeah. style of book. I mean, the funny thing is, you know, when you're when I think of some of your seven-layer amazing, beautiful cakes, <laughs> like, it's not that kind of baking no. in the sense that I haven't Mm-mm. included any of those kind of recipes, really. It's more um, back-to-basics baking, yeah. in a sense. Um the kind of baking that maybe our parents and grandparents would have done maybe more our grandparents even you know it's tarts it's breads it's preserves and things to go with the bakes almost um i mean it's modern versions of this Mm. it's almost farmhouse baking yeah you know very very humble very simple yeah um but then you know not multiple multiple flavors either kind of simpler than that it's the food i most enjoy eating in the way that um you're just taking fairly simple ingredients and then you can just add to it with simple parsley oil, basil oil, any mm. kind of herb oil, then all the ferments and kimchi and preserves and all yeah. those kind of things. They just add that little, as you said in the restaurant, top hat, that little note <laughs> that just transforms yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of it as well, I think, you know, when you approach baking or ferments or anything like that, which are the two main things, the sourdough and the fermentation mm. side of things that I wanted to try and prove to people are not that difficult to do yes they take a little bit of time but genuinely if you just got into the rhythm of it and the routine of it you're transforming the way you're eating completely truly um you you say that to me as my jar of sourdough is probably dead in the fridge at the moment (laughs) with a thick layer of alcohol on top of it it's been sorely abused you can bring it back to life i've brought mine back to life many many times times. because i get into obsessive obsessive uh, periods where I'm just like sourdough every you know every I've got day. one going yeah. all the time yeah um and then I get busy with something forget and then like yeah. oh yeah it's been uh, three months <laughs> and that's another thing because people get so frightened of it I mean even over the summer when I was shooting the book I remember uh texting you because I'd managed to fling my <laughs> yes. sourdough starter yeah, onto the floor that. and smash it well because you got one from Sky in the end didn't I you? did yeah. and then the funny thing is I actually managed to salvage a bit of the sourdough that was on the floor that hadn't actually you know <laughs> got any glass on the top, it, yeah. but hadn't got any glass or like bits of the floor on it and so I've actually got that going again nice. um, but yeah I got some of Sky's as well so even if you flung it onto the floor and smashed it there's still <laughs> a way of bringing it back I was once t- uh, I was running a um, pop-up bakery at Fortnum and Mason Yeah. and we were running classes in the evening and this couple had flown in from San Francisco not specifically to see me Wow. but that's kind of how <laughs> they said it to him like there is no way you've done that but whatever yeah. but they basically decided that they were going to bring sourdough starter with them in case they met someone to give it to. Yeah. So they brought it in a little yogurt pot Amazing. and they brought it to my class and went, would you like it? And I went, uh, yes. So mine is kind of an amalgamation of that and then that died for a while. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think, love that. The, the yeah. di- can you imagine like, the, the different yeast, the different 
everything that's in the air from all these different places mm. being brought around. Well, I just, I, it's that sharing thing again. Yeah. You know, the idea that they just thought somebody would like. Uh, but they brought it... The thing that I found amazing is they somehow managed to take it in... Um, in the cabin. Yeah. So it was just, it was still more than 100 milliliters. So someone must have looked and gone, that's not a liquid. Yes. It definitely was. Um, but it was in a yogurt it in pot. There. It looked like maybe they were just going <laughs> to eat a yogurt on it. But um, it was amazing. Um, how did you kind of get into baking? There was a recipe in there, which is the kimchi bread. Mm. And you explained that uh, it was kimchi that almost got you interested in sourdough in the first place. Yeah. I mean, I loved baking from the point of view of uh, maybe cakes and things like that mm. or tarts let's say or even baked vegetables and whole baked things like that I always did that but breads I only came to um, a few years ago well I'd done yeasted breads but I hadn't done sourdough bread yeah. specifically I mean I'd done that in cookery school but not properly um, and yeah it was the fascination with kimchi and making all my own ferments at home and not just kimchi because you can make a fermented carrot any type of vegetable yeah yeah, yeah. Fennel, whatever the hell you like, so simply yeah. and easily. Um, and I was just fascinated by the whole process of, you know, the lactobacillus, mm. you know, fermentation side of things, the science aspect of it. Yeah. Without going too heavy into it because I am a scientist, but I just loved that side of it. Yeah, yeah. And then when I was reading about that, of course, people spoke about sourdough as well, which is essentially the same. Yeah type of fermentation and I just thought okay well I'll try it out started off with making a starter completely failed because I was amalgamating about 75 different recipes and thinking, it's <laughs> going to be amazing it's going to be this new. Um, and then eventually got going and yeah that's the great thing I think about making sourdough specifically that it's quite a trial and error process mm-hmm. I don't think I've met anyone who's made the perfect sourdough no. bread the very first time they've no made way. it and also it's very different if, you, if you're so used to making normal not normal that's the wrong term but just traditional yeasted bread yeah moving from that to sourdough is a very different technique yeah it's the a big jump dough behaves differently yeah and I think if you're in that mindset yeah you won't make a good sourdough and also because I'm quite organised mm-hmm. I'm trying not to say control freak but <laughs> maybe control my wife would definitely say control freak <laughs> so like when I was in the kitchen approaching things you know I'd be very like analytical yeah and I you, you know you have to throw that out the window and just approach it with intuition yeah. and being practical and just saying oh you know obviously my kitchen's a few degrees colder it hasn't completely risen up yet I'll yeah. leave it yeah. you know it might say an hour and a half but mm-hmm. I'm just going to leave it and so I was trying to be quite open in the way that I was writing the recipes and just getting people's heads around that as well yeah. because I think it makes for a much more I think it's important because um, sourdough is definitely one of those things where you have to learn through doing yeah. you can't learn you can learn a certain degree through reading yeah. but you really have to get in there which is why the longer you do it the more you do it the more natural it becomes like with anything really yeah. but it is one of those things where if I don't do it for a long time I definitely have to bake off at least a few loaves before I'm back in the swing of it yeah. and even then it's still hit and miss a little bit because I don't do it regularly yeah. enough um, I am feeling like I now have to revive my sourdough today. <laughs> get some <laughs> pressure. Bread, get some bread baking while I do my taxes. Um, so we're going to move on to our second section, yeah. which is our shopping list. Yeah. So it's very simple. Oh, it's most of the time it's very simple. I try and make it slightly tricky, so it's hard for you to answer. But that's okay. where it's more fun. Of course. Uh, so pickled or fermented? Fermented. Okay. Definitely. Any reason? I. Obviously, with pickles, you have vinegar. Yeah. So I prefer the flavour profile and the okay. fact that it's changing over time with yeah. fermented. Fair foods, enough, yeah. fair enough. Korean or British? 
<laughs> I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna go Korean. Okay. Yeah. I think I'm gonna probably know the guess of this then: kimchi or sauerkraut, just because they're. Quite now similar. I have to say, um, I think sauerkraut is an amazing thing because it is getting people into fermentation mm-hmm. without the added extras that go yeah. with kimchi. Sure. So I'm probably going to say kimchi, otherwise my wife might divorce me. I was just me. about to but, say, yeah. Um, if you are trying things out, definitely go for making sauerkraut first. If you want to just get your head around that concept sure. of salting a vegetable, watching the liquid that comes out of it, yeah. submerging that vegetable in the liquid, and hey presto, that's a ferment. Yeah. You know, because people have this idea that they're going to be like swimming in a bacteria soup or something. <laughs> it's just not like that. It yeah. is super simple. And I suppose also a lot of people are already aware of sauerkraut, whereas kimchi yeah. is also that whole thing of, oh, I don't know what that is. Exactly. Which I think for some people is hard yeah. to get and over. And it's spicy and there's garlic in it, yeah. Which but is why it's delicious. Exactly, get over it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, tea or coffee? Um, I'm going to say tea. Well, now this is a funny one. I would say coffee for the flavour, but mm-hmm. it makes me kind of jittery. Like if I okay. drink it, it's like, you know, I've done some drugs or something. Mm. Well, maybe coffee is the drug, I don't know, but I'd be like... Caffeine definitely is. Caffeine definitely is. I'd be like, (laughs) I had this huge deadline recently and I was like, oh my God, I have so much work to do and I had this massive thing of coffee and I was like, the power bunny I was on, like music playing (laughs) until like four o'clock in the morning and I like slammed out all my work Um, because I don't usually drink that much coffee because of that. Um, But ordinarily I'd say tea because I drink a lot of tea. Fair enough. Mm. Um, Sweet or savoury? Oh. See, I thought this one would be a lot easier. Yeah, no. Okay, if I had to eat one or the other for the rest of my life, I couldn't eat anything else, mm-hmm. then I'd probably say savoury. Okay, that's yeah. where, that is definitely where I thought you were going to go. Yeah. Considering the balance of sweet and savoury in the book, that's kind of yeah, my impression of I where you are going to go. I do have a sweet tooth, though. <laughs> I said, there's a massive cake set behind you, but I haven't, I know, it's I like haven't looming shot over it yet, my head. so I can't, you can't have it. No, don't worry. Um... Because it's uh, currently hatch of the season, blood orange or rhubarb? Um, I would say blood orange. Yeah, I yeah. think that's right. I mean, I'm from yeah. Yorkshire, so I should say rhubarb. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm in, in the middle of doing orange. a rhubarb recipe, so maybe I'm over it now. But I think, <laughs> yeah, no, I, blood orange, there's something about yeah. the just complete zingy freshness of it. I just adore it, yeah. Every January, mm. I, I'm at the greengrocer's waiting for it to arrive and then yeah. I buy the first ones and I'm disappointed I know and then I just buy it more progresses I, I probably have a bag somewhere because I almost always January through February yeah. constant in my kitchen yeah, um, since you've lived in both places New York or London oh London yeah I mean I love New York but I think to live there full time I mean <laughs> if you asked me this eight years ago I would have said New York oh okay because um, I'd just come back and I was like oh, I want to go back to New York but I think <laughs> From the point of view of balance, yeah, London ticks the boxes. From the point of view of travelling there and just having an amazing time yeah. and having that New York lifestyle for a weekend, great, go to New York. But... I think I used to be the same. I mm. have always loved New York. And then the older I got, the more I realised I think it would kill me to live there. Yeah. I think I need a balance of peace and quiet. And, yeah. you know, I don't think I would get that necessarily. Yeah. And it's also ridiculously expensive, yeah. you know. Now we're in our geriatric 30s yes, and no, going to so the park. <laughs> uh, and our final one is noodles or rice. Oh, that's... Because like, I thought that would be difficult. difficult one. Um, yeah. Okay, so... I'm just trying to... I'm just rattling through the recipes that I cook with both. So I would probably <laughs> go for rice okay. then, in that case. Yeah, I just think there's a few more. I just couldn't deal with not being able to have... 
like this bibimbap because actually there was my wife asked me a question like if you could only eat one dish for the mm. rest of your life what would it be and I just couldn't think of the answer but then actually bibimbap was the answer because it has every single yeah. thing in that dish it's got rice it's got meat it's got every single vegetable going it's mm. got all these different flavours and you can adjust it to whatever you fancy that day exactly yeah that's fair, that's fair mm. enough um, so our final section as always is the recycling bin mm. so is there an ingredient or a trend or something in food that you cannot stand? It could be a person. <laughs> that would be more controversial and no one has gone down that road Ed Kimber, Jesus, <laughs> does my head in that guy. <laughs> well, as you have to convince me to put it in the recycling bin, I'm not <laughs> yeah. sure I'm going to go down that route. Um, but is there something that you just wish was not around anymore? Um... Well, okay, so yesterday I was making a Bundt cake, which you mm-hmm. have sitting behind my yeah, head. I do, yes. um, and I'm kind of over them. Because for the last... Were you the person? <laughs> I was on a shoot yesterday, and someone's, uh, the editor was talking about how... That was me, that was Eleanor in the way uh, she Yes! So, uh, Eleanor was saying to me that she couldn't remember who it was. She went, somebody said to me, I am so over <laughs> Literally, I was doing a shoot with, with her last week, and I was like, oh, she was talking about <laughs> bun cake. It was probably yours, and I was yeah, like, yeah, shot so over bun cakes. And then literally, it was probably because I was in the middle of writing one. And yeah, I think... It's funny, because I love, obviously, the shape. I'm just looking at the bun tins now that you yeah, have, have scattered around me. They're two, everywhere. Three, five. Yeah, yeah, they're this incredible shape and incredible to look at. I love that point of view. But um, it just annoys me that it's just this trend thing where, you know, you could just make a normal cake. You don't yeah. have to put it into the bun tin <laughs> if you're not going for the aspirational blogger's lifestyle kind of thing. <laughs> Uh, but I just uh, wait for the image of my bun cake to be on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, I know. No, go for it. I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll eat it. You can make yeah, it for yeah, me. I'll totally yeah. eat it. But yeah, I mean, it's delicious. It's got bergamot, gin. You know, it's a delicious cake. So oh that sounds amazing. Yeah, um, so I, I, I'd say the cake, not the tin. Okay, yeah. interesting. Um, I do. I, I know where you're coming from. Um, I do think it's one of those things that has become <laughs> slightly cliched. Yeah. I think I will always be a fan of a bun, though. Yeah. Um, King Arthur Flower have said that. 2017 is the year of the bunts. I don't think I'm you're sure. Gonna, I know. I'm don't not think you're going to escape it yet. I'm ahead of myself. Um, I think there's definitely a style of bunt that is boring, and yeah. it needs to be done with imagination. Yes. Um, however, and that sounds like an incredibly imaginative one. Gin. I mean, and gin bergamot. bergamot. It's delicious. Yeah. Um, I'm doing another one tomorrow, probably, which will be um, blood orange and Campari. Yeah. Um, and maybe pomegranate as well. I don't know. But um, gorgeous. Talk about seasonal. I know. I mean, I'm yeah. all about the seasonal. Yeah. <laughs> Make yourself a Negroni bunt. <laughs> I mean, that was kind of the idea. Um, it may still have the other things in it. I mean, yeah. I don't really like a Negroni to drink, but um, oh, I love, I love it. I love all the flavours yeah. of them. Um, anyway, I love a Bundt cake, so I, I don't think we can put it in the recycling okay. bin. So um, you're just going to have to keep I'll writing recipes you. for them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for the rest, of, for the rest of the year. Um, so if people want to follow you online, where can they follow you? Yeah, I suppose mainly on Instagram, it's just my name, Jordan Burke. I'm on Twitter as well, um, which is without the E on the end, because some Australian football player got my E. <laughs> I dare say, when I was uh, doing research for uh, for this yesterday, I did think, oh, he looks different in that uh, Australian rugby yeah. uh, <laughs> get-up. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> He's, in, you know, wearing some short-sleeved tank top on a, a 
a feel somewhere. No, yeah, that's not me. So just whip off the... And then, uh, yeah, just my website, which I have to put some more recipes on. <laughs> updates, which is reminding me my new year, yeah. new resolution kind of thing. That was mine as well. Yeah, it's Keep incredible. It and um, we should say that this episode is coming out on the release day for your book. Yes. Which is obviously today. So that is Healthy Baking. Yeah. Um, I don't know what the price is, but it is a really... Uh, I don't know why I even said that. Um, <laughs> it's a really beautiful book. And I think, you know, if you're a big baking person and you don't have that style of book, which is rarer, I think it would make a very good addition to, you know, your canon of baking. Oh, that's lovely to hear. Um, and I definitely am going to have to give the kimchi uh, sourdough go. Cause it's, yeah. And the porridge one, actually. The porridge one was the other one that I had kind of bookmarked as something that I would be very intrigued yeah, to see. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. So good. Cool. Well, thank you for joining me today. Not at all. And thank you for having me. good luck with the book. Such a pleasure. Thanks so much.